With the backlog in healthcare services in this province, would privately run for-profit clinics be the answer? Well, Premier Ford is set to make an announcement this week. Some think it's concerning expanding the number of surgeries performed in independent clinics. Dr. Nadia Alam is here to share her take on this. She is a family doctor and past president of the Ontario Medical Association. Hey, Dr. Nadia. Hi, Maggie. How are you? Good. Let's first hear from Mr. Ford uh, and what he believes uh, more private healthcare clinics or why he believes more private healthcare clinics are needed in Ontario. People don't care where they have to go as long as it has the same regulations, same top-notch doctors that are working in the hospital that may have some hours to go into another area in a different uh, facility and operating and knock off simple stuff, not complicated knee replacements, hip replacements, cataracts. These are no-brainers that are backlogging the healthcare system. We have, uh, what I think, 13 facilities now in Ontario that no one talks about. You know, I think one of the most famous ones is Shouldice. They've been around forever. There's another one that does cataracts downtown somewhere. But we need to have uh, facilities like that to take the burden off the uh, hospitals there. Thoughts on that, Dr. Nadia? So, one, I am not against um, independent health facilities that are publicly funded, providing extra surgeries, right? Uh, providing additional room for surgeons to work so that um, their skills can be put to use rather than hanging around. We know that there are surgeons who need work. I don't think this is the right time to do it, and I don't think this is the right way to do it. And that's what I worry about. When would be the right time to do it? When we're not in the middle of this massive health, human mm-hmm. healthcare, human resources issue that's happening. We don't have enough nurses. We don't have enough um, family doctors. We don't have enough RTs. We don't have enough OTs and physiotherapists. We don't have enough personnel to help clean and process the instruments used in an operating room, let alone the rest of the hospital. This is why we have such a backlog, not just in the ORs, but in our emergency departments, in our medical wards, in our surgical wards. We don't have enough. We've got beds, but they're empty because we don't have anyone to take care of the patients that would go in those beds. So, yeah, clearing the backlog of surgery is really important. I've got patients who are waiting ridiculous times to try and get knees replaced and hips replaced and all of that. And in the meantime, they are suffering, right? They can't walk. They, they have constant pain. I feel terrible, terrible for them because this is not what they deserve. But I don't think this is the right way to do it. A nurse cannot be in two places at once. They can't be in the operating room in a hospital and be in an inter, uh, independent health facility at the same time. Like it, the math doesn't really add up. Yeah. And, and Dr. Nadia, it's, you know, what you're describing is obviously what all of us are feeling, you know, when emergency rooms have to close and emergency mm. uh, uh, facilities have to close and there's backlogs and there are people dying in emergency room, like all of the things. Uh, but what you also describe is uh, a solution or a problem that can't be solved overnight. And so some of the critics of uh, Premier Ford are saying, we just need to deal with the issues right now, as you're articulating. Mm-hmm. What would you have preferred for him to to say and to do 
at this moment to solve this backlog, to solve the, the same problem as you're saying, that we don't have enough nurses, we don't have enough uh, people to do all of the things just even in the hospitals that we currently have? So I, I find that I get frustrated because people look at short-term solutions yeah. as the be-all and end-all to the problems that healthcare faces. Healthcare has been moving towards this crisis for the past 10 years. Yep. Yep. It's, it's not like a recipe, right, Maggie? It's not like you can throw in these ingredients and all of a sudden it all works. Yep. But it, it's more like raising kids where it's very complicated. It's not intuitive. It's yeah. kind of trial and error and small changes. And really, at the end of the day, it's just relentless chipping away to help make things better. So one, they need to stabilize the, nurse, the nursing workforce. We, we are in massive crisis, small hospitals, big hospitals. The fact that this summer, UHN, the University Health Network, had to almost, like they came so close to closing their emergency department because they didn't have enough people, that should be terrifying to, to patients all over Ontario. It was terrifying to me as a doctor to see that because that's when you know the system is not just failing, it, it's failed. Like that, that's failure right there. So they need to solve the nursing crisis. And one of the things they should do and must do is repeal the bill that puts a cap on the raises yes. nurses get. It's not just about money, right? It's the working environment too. But money is the step you need to get nurses through the door. And if they won't go through the door, it doesn't matter how much you improve the environment. It's, it's, that bill is disrespectful to the time and skill that nurses um, have. It's It's... That's one thing. They need to make hospitals and, and clinics safer for nurses to work in, meaning they have to be strict about how many patients a nurse cares for. If a nurse is caring for 10 patients, they're not going to be able to provide the same level of attention and care as they would if they were caring for five, which is a lot safer, right? That, that's how errors happen. They need to make sure there's enough incentives and bonuses for nurses to stay. And I don't mean money. I mean things like having a health care plan, making sure they've got vacation time, they've got coverage for sick leave, basic things that people need to feel like they're valued and important. And then they need to extend that to all healthcare um, personnel, right? Not just nurses, but the pharmacists, everybody. Yeah. Everybody's struggling. Everybody's short-staffed. We need a solution that allows us to make it a pleasure to work in healthcare again. Yeah. And not just a, a drag, right? Yeah, and you're talking about Bill 124, uh, yes. which many people are asking that it be repealed and it's in the court system right now. You know, I, I agree with you, Dr. Natty. I think all of these things have to be looked at. I know of people, have people in family and so forth that work in the healthcare system. But that, how does that solve Bob, who's waiting for that knee replacement, has been waiting for years to get it done, and is now potentially going to hear the premier say, hey, go to an independent clinic and get it done. I think Bob should be aware that if he goes to an independent healthcare clinic, things might turn out fine. He could get his knee replaced. Everything's good. He gets to home, start, he gets to go home, start physiotherapy, re return to a, a better life than what he's been struggling with. But if things don't go well, if there's a complication, and he needs to go to a hospital instead of an independent health facility, a hospital with more resources, more specialists, all of that uh, support. If he has to go there and the nurses who usually work in the hospital are in the independent health facility, 
he may be, and he's going to run into trouble, right? He may be sitting around in the ER for hours, sometimes days waiting for a bed on the floor. And that's not, that's not good care. All ER docs and nurses know this. So yes, you get the short-term benefit, but if there's a problem, where is, where is the solution to that, mm-hmm. right? You can't just fix, you can't just plug one leak in the dam and expect the dam to hold when there are 10 other leaks going away. Yeah. And so I think we, I think, like, I, I do feel for the government, right? They've got the healthcare workers saying one thing and patients saying another thing. And these are, these all require different solutions. So they're, they're kind of caught in this tug of war, but they really need to think beyond the election cycle and think, okay, what do we really need to do to fix this healthcare system? And one of the short-term solutions, Bill 124, get rid of it, yeah. right? It's disrespectful. It's not, I mean, considering inflation, why would anyone go into nursing now knowing that they can't get a raise? Why would go into any sort of public sector job knowing that they can't get a raise to pay for milk, <laughs> There's also the fear, Dr. Nadia. Yeah, we we have a minute left and then we're going to take a break and we'll come back with you. But really quickly, there's also the fear that nurses and health practitioners will move to these private clinics where they potentially can get paid more. Well, and it's not, I don't know if they'll get paid more because payment is sort of, um, and that's one of the nurses in the operating room was saying to me the other day, I, I was asking her, I was like, you know, wouldn't a nurse work in an independent health facility? She doesn't have to be on call. He doesn't have to be on call. They get better paid yeah. and that. They get better working conditions. Yeah. And she said, no, it's, it's, they won't necessarily get better pay. I say you have to have a union, a local union who, who argues for you, who advocates for you to get the pay you fully deserve. Yeah. And a nurse in a, an independent healthcare facility won't necessarily be part of a union yet. Maybe one day they will, but they won't right off the bat. So they may not get the same rates that they do in the hospital. They may not get the benefits, right? Like the, the coverage for medication, right. the sick time, the vacation needs, all of that stuff that's necessary to have a good working environment. They may not have that. And so we may not have enough people to staff independent health facilities. And if, like you said, Maggie, if nurses go to the independent health facilities, yep. we won't have enough in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, either way. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we will return with more with Dr. Nadia Alam. Stay with us. You're listening to Toronto This Weekend on 640 Toronto. We're back with Dr. Nadia Alam. She is a family doctor, regular contributor here at Toronto This Weekend. Can we talk menopause, Dr. Nadia? <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite subjects Is i'm it? getting closer to it too yeah well me too me too that passes yeah well there just seems to be an, a movement of empowering women to talk more openly about this which i say like it's about time i mean i'm 43 and i don't remember anybody really talking about menopause like you know this mm-hmm. is the symptoms what we go through why don't you think we talk about it enough I think our society has this obsession with youth and menopause is admission that time is passing. However, it's this major transition in a woman's health, right? It's like puberty. Look at how much time we spend talking about puberty. Even when you and I were growing, going to school and 
they started with sex ed classes. At least they talked about puberty somewhat. And now they've got a broader curriculum that goes into more detail. They start at a younger age that people realize so that kids realize how important it is. Menopause should be treated the same. But one of, I mean, you and I know women are treated differently in the world um, compared to men. And there have been a lot of male researchers and a lot of male physicians defining the profession for decades. And that's changing, which is fantastic. But it's also society at large. People don't look at older women the same way they look at younger women. You can see that on magazine covers. And I think that's partly why people don't talk about menopause. Yeah. And so I I feel like we need to take charge of that. As women, Mm -hmm. we need to just be open about talking about symptoms, what we're going through, our bodies changing, and just peel off the layers of stigma in that. Do you, do you find that, you know, you're seeing that? Because I'm seeing that more. I'm seeing that more mm-hmm. on social media, at least, where, you know, there are some public faces who are just saying, I just had a hot flash or I'm just going through this. <laughs> uh, but I feel like that's going to be a part of the solution to just making this a common topic that we, we discuss. Yeah, making it a normal part of life. Yeah. Do you know, it's and I agree with you. I'm seeing it a lot more. And a part of me, like inside, I'm cheering. And actually outside, I'm cheering too every time I hear someone talk about it. There are only two creatures, two biological creatures who live beyond um, their fertile years. Hmm. Whales, certain kinds of whales, yeah, and humans. Interesting. Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah. So this whole menopause thing, oh my God. We're survivors. Yes. It is extraordinary. And we should be celebrating it. Yeah. It's the next transition into an amazing, like the, the other two thirds of our life, right? The other half of our life. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Do you find that women that come into your office as a doctor are just unaware even of symptoms uh, that come with menopause and, and they just, cause you know, I mean, I just saw my doctor and I was like, you know, the list of things and, and I just, I don't even know, like you, you just mm-hmm. don't even know what's menopause and just like, what's just getting old. What's just being busy with right? work and family and that general exhaustion. No, you're absolutely right. A lot of people, like a lot of women are like, Oh yeah, I don't have hot flashes. I'm, I'm not going through menopause. And I'm like, well, are you tired? Your muscles hurt more with, you know, your regular level of exercise. What about your mood? What's happening at night? Do you find that your sleep is disrupted? Little things like that. They're like, oh, my God, that's part of menopause. And I'm like, yeah, it can be. It really can. I mean, it can be part of other things, too, including a busy, stressful life. But it can also be part of menopause. And often your ability to tolerate the stressors of life changes as you're going through menopause, just like it did during puberty. Right. For everybody, male, female alike. And so it's so subtle. You may not notice it until you're through it and you look back and you're like, whoa, yeah, that was menopause. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go through. So because as you said that, I'm like, well, maybe. Yep. Check, check, check. As you were even saying that to me, too. <laughs> and, you know, what I find interesting is the Menopause Foundation launched a study and found that many female patients felt undertreated and that their okay. symptoms were trivialized. So what are some of those key symptoms that you should just be aware of as you, you know, are entering that time in your life where you could be perimenopause? Menopause? Um, well, they can be pretty vague symptoms that kind of sneak up on you, right? More fatigue than usual, 
more difficulty sleeping than you normally would. You find yourself more anxious. You find yourself, um, you find yourself thinking about stuff in a different way. You, find, you may find yourself more distractible. Your it isn't just about your menstrual cycle, your period. Mm-hmm. You can, in fact, have normal periods and may even get depressed around that time. You may find yourself more forgetful. Right? People, women talk about this brain fog they go through during menopause and and it's true it's a real thing but it can it can easily be chalked up to things like a busy stressful life not taking enough time for that you can also get vaginal dryness Mm. and and that's a big deal so sex all of a sudden before was amazing and now you're barely interested in it when you do have it it's not as enjoyable as before and you start thinking maybe there's something wrong with me and it's not it's your body is changing and you kind of have to change with it. The other one I mentioned earlier, right? Joint aches and pains. You may get breast pains and tenderness. You may get more headaches, especially migraines. There's, there's a lot happening yeah. to your body. Estrogen is everywhere in your body. And when you start losing estrogen, when it starts going to the end of its cycle, then all of these subtle things show up that a lot of people chalk up to as nothing. Even when a woman notices and brings it to the attention of friends, doctors, partners, they may say, oh, it's fine. It's fine. You're just tired. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Go have some sleep. Go eat something fun. Go watch a movie. Go do some yoga. <clears throat> You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Try to brush it away. Yeah. Well, I, I think the men listening to this, all I have to say is we just carry so much of a load. Like, even as you were listing that, Dr. Nat, I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, from childbirth to now menopause, it does not stop being a woman. But we celebrate <laughs> it along with the whales. That we... <laughs> That's my takeaway from this segment today, Dr. Nadia. Oh, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. You're always so much fun and you just make all of this conversation around health so applicable to our day-to-day lives. Thank you so much for your time today.